0: Welcome back to My Brother's Deeper, a podcast about two brothers, one who lives in England, one who lives in the United States, Uh, one who's a pastor, one who's a writer. My name's Josh Mayhall.
1: My name's Jason Mayhall. And why did
0: you say just the United States, Josh? Well, uh, I'm living in Los Angeles, but I'm leaving. I'm going to go on the road for a minute. Um, I don't know where I'll end up ultimately. I may come back out here. I don't know if I'll come back at, to L.A., maybe California, but maybe not. I don't know. I'm just going to go wander the earth like Kang and Kung Fu, <laughs> where, but in a car, the, not on foot.
1: Where's the first place you're going?
0: Um, I think I'm going to avoid Arizona at this point. So Smart. I've, I was thinking of going to Las Cruces. New Mexico would be the first stop, which is about eleven hours out. There's the White Sands National Park there, which is sort of part of that hole where they did all the nuclear testing. Oh. You know, back in the day with the Manhattan Project and all that?
1: Oh, was that out there? Yeah. Okay.
0: But I think that it's known for having the it's a desert and all the sand is sort of white. That's I don't pretty. know if it was I don't know if it was always like that or that's from just nuclear <laughs> fallout. Yeah, I don't know maybe I should do some research I've been listening to these things and thinking to myself like I should do more research when I come <laughs> on here talking because I'm talking about mom last well, this is the second part of uh, our mother podcast podcast about our you know where we talk about our mom and I was thinking you know I didn't know when she got married and I so I started going through these pictures I had and there's a picture of mom and her wedding date and on the back it has the date. And I'm like, man, I should just do more research. <laughs> well,
1: that, that's pretty basic research, too.
0: <laughs> yeah, so you weren't a shotgun baby. Oh, they were. Cute. They were married in November of '74. You were born in September '75. And uh, but she did tell me that they were in a hurry to have a kid because at that point, our dad's mom was had cancer and was dying yeah. from it, and she, he wanted to give her a grandkid. Yeah. So you were on the assembly line pretty early. Yes, I was on the to do list apparently. Yeah. So
1: remind me, what, you, you she died before you were born, is that right?
0: Yeah, I think so. But yeah, my, that's what mom told me when I talked to her.
1: Okay, but research. she knew you were she knew you were coming.
0: No, this is the thing. This is what mom told me was that she was pregnant with me, but she didn't have a, she was didn't want to tell. Luis, who was our grandmother, that she was having another kid. She thought it would just be too, too much for her. It would be too much because she wouldn't be able to see me. So she, (laughs) she, she said, mom said her and dad agreed on not telling her. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, but mom said that you, what was weird about you meeting her and being around her she said that you were scared of her because she had this big patch on cuz she didn't take any she didn't go through chemo or radiation she got cancer in her eye and just let it eat away into her brain which is gruesome but yeah
1: i think it started actually on
0: in skin like yeah, right above her it was on her eyelid
1: oh was it okay i knew it was i thought it
0: was somewhere maybe yeah, it maybe like, like a, a it was like a rough patch okay on her eyelid and she went to the doctor and the doctor said it was nothing. He totally he totally whiffed on it. No. Yep. My little mom was saying. Holy cow, I didn't know that. Dang. It's scary.
1: Well, I'll tell you, it's scary, the history that that family. side of the family has with
0: cancer. Yeah. I mean, the immediate family, you know, like Enough. just your dad and your grandmother having it and dying at the same age from it.
1: Uh, yeah I, i'm not a big I'm not a big uh fan of thinking about that for very long as i approach yeah. that age
0: yeah but you you're doing good you're not sick so yeah now i know, you know. So I if know. you got sick now you wouldn't die at 45 well that's how i look at things i'm like i'm past this threat i passed past this threshold i'm doing good you know yeah
1: well i was thinking about that though like so dad was actually 46, though. He wasn't 45 because he was born in 52, right? And he – 52, died in 98. Oh, it was March of 98, so he hadn't turned 46. Yeah. So. That's right. Okay, right. that's right.
0: Okay. So anyway, we were – we left off was moving to Maine. We were right there. Move, we had moved to Maine, and we were living in this small – Little town of like two thousand people.
1: Yeah, I have no idea how big it was.
0: I think it was like twenty five hundred. It's called Reedfield, Maine, and uh, it was very rural. We lived yeah. on like a dirt road. Was with one other house, house on it. Yes. Yeah, at that point, our de- our stepfather William was working at this paper mill in in another town, and uh, he had met someone else. And finally, told her mother that he wanted a divorce. He had met someone else. We talked about some of. The, we already talked about some of the trauma that went, was involved with this, mm-hmm. mental, mentally, and so we couldn't stay in that house. So William had moved out, and Mom didn't. She wasn't working, and so we had to move. And we discussed the. The timeline of that summer, I think it was 1990 or 89.
1: It was the end of my freshman year. So that would be, what would that be?
0: 93, 92, not 90. 1990. We come back from seeing our dad in Dallas, and mom's like, we're moving. And we're moving to Colorado. And we're moving to Colorado because she has a, a brother and sister and a mom and dad there. So our aunt suggests these two guys who are affiliated with these people who moved her at some point they weren't the actual guys that moved her they were friends of these guys that moved her so they drive out in a van and from Colorado to Maine they drive out we had mom had rented a moving van moving truck and these two dudes come out, and Mom tells us. I don't know if you remember her sort of giving us the lowdown before they came. Kind of. Um, but she told us. She was straight up with us. She was like, these guys are um, – these are two men who are turning into women. They've already had the, the, the operation of having their
1: – Was it – wait, was it
0: bo- was it both of them? I thought it was just one both. of them. No, it was Both. Because one of them was a big, strapping, blonde, long-haired, blonde-headed man.
1: I remember that.
0: And, and then The other one, one, was, the other like
1: one was like a little shorter and overweight, right?
0: Yeah, it was like twins. That movie, Twins. He was like <laughs> Danny DeVito.
1: So they were both men transitioning to women. That's
0: what Mom told me.
1: Okay, I'd, I'd always remembered it that it was they were they were both men who were in a uh, relationship and the only way they could like be together was if one of them became a woman and then they could actually still be together like in that in the 90s you know that that was kind of a societal thing where um i guess that was their only kind of hope so that's how i
0: remembered it but but i do remember it differently i didn't Think they were together. I just thought they were two buddies doing being trans. Oh, out no, no,
1: no, 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 no. I, I, my memory is they were totally together because I remember one of the, um, as we were, as we were traveling across the country, we stopped. I don't know what we were in. We were in the back of some car or something.
0: Which, tra- so we traded off. So mom's car was towed by the big moving truck. And then they had the van. So one of us would be in the cab with the guy driving the big truck, the big moving truck. And then two of us would be in the van with the other guy. Oh, my God. Wow. So at one point, one of us was alone with
1: it, with one of them.
0: Yeah. I remember you know, remember being in the big truck. with I remember being in the – so for – I totally, I totally blocked that
1: out, dude, I think
0: because of how –
1: Scarring it was.
0: So we had this difference of what we think was going on there, but I'm gonna lean towards what you're saying.
1: Well, let me say real quick. no let me just interrupt you. Part of the reason why I think that is because I was starting to say I have a very distinct memory. Wherever I was, whatever vehicle I was in, it was late at night. We pulled over for gas or food or something, but we were sleep. I remember being sleeping and. It was, one, it was late enough to where it's like we weren't expected to get up. We were expected to keep sleeping, and then we're going to continue to drive. And I remember hearing those two guys, gals, whatever, fighting. And I remember talking to mom, and mom saying they're having a lover's quarrel. Wow. So that's wow. why I – my memory of it is that they were definitely together. May, they I, been. I may have filled in the gaps about – not only one was trans – I don't know what the truth was as far as which one was what, but I do remember think remember clearly that they were together from that story.
0: Okay. Well, maybe they wanted to be lesbians. <laughs> maybe so. I don't know. I'll just say that one of them was transitioning. The one that was definitely transitioning was the big man with the blonde hair. Okay. Because he had may- boots. I think you're right. Yeah,
1: I think that's the one I remember as well.
0: 'Cause he had boobs. Yes. I remember being this is what I'm talking about when we were the whole logistics of who was in what vehicle was when I was in the truck with him, because he was driving the truck, the moving truck, I remember just like looking at him sidelong like I can see his boobs. Oh but he had God. like But he had like not see them, you know, but I could see the shape of them through his shirt. Sure. And he had like big, you know, like Big arms, like big movers' arms, and yeah. like he talked to you, and he had like you know he had the same sort of male timber in his voice, and I, he, and my, I remember mom telling me that, you know they're taking like hormones and yeah and all I remember that. that
1: too. And, yeah, I remember that.
0: But I kept I, and also remember looking at the fat guy because he was wearing like you know we moved there in the summer. And he was wearing, like, these really short athletic shorts. He was fat, you know. He had, like, this curly hair. Yeah. And I remember, like, looking at his crotch. And I'm like, hey, there's no dick there. You know, like, thinking, like, where is it? Did it get cut off already? And all that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Man. It's so, that's a lot to throw some young teenagers into in 1990. It's not like today. That's 30 years ago where, you know, like, trans rights weren't really a thing and people weren't You know, that's like the early sort of like know what it was like before that. But like,
1: well, it definitely wasn't like a normal thing. I mean, even I think even by today's standards, like if you'd not been exposed to that before, you'd still find it confusing. But especially for us, given the fact that we had a fairly sheltered upbringing.
0: Did we? We have some experience in this already with cross-dressing. (laughs) <laughs> That's true
1: Yeah, this kind of takes it to a whole nother level though
0: Yeah, and what's weird is like our mom's not like a, a fag hack Like she didn't have ma- like gay friends she, she, But these things kept popping up
1: Yeah, I don't know I, I mean, I, it's interesting you talking about how they even got put in touch with us I didn't realize that
0: that was a connection with our aunt Yeah, it was, yeah, it was Aunt Sharon But it wasn't, they didn't move her Right and I think that I remember thinking, Mom was like, when those guys showed up, she was like, Why can't I get what, who moved my aunt, my sister? You know, why can't I get those guys? Why do I get these dudes?
1: So that, so yeah, that's another thing though, because I'm sitting there thinking, if you, know, you and I, our memories are somewhat skewed as far as the details of it, but both of us have a very clear impression of just how strange and awkward and messed up. The whole move was, and I think a lot of that – and correct me if I'm wrong or if you just have a different opinion – I think a lot of that was shaped by mom because I remember mom being very uncomfortable as well, right?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think she was repulsed by what they were doing with their lives. Yeah,
1: I I, I think I, – I feel that that was a part of why it was such a messed up place is because it wasn't just like – me as a as a teenager like inwardly asking questions or talking to you like I, I really feel like mom was pretty vocal at least to you and I that this is messed up and we just got to get through this
0: yeah she was disgusted by it for sure and yeah it was it was weird because you I also had this feeling that maybe because you don't know anything about it and you're scared of it of that kind of lifestyle that there was something predatory about it, like there wasn't. But you no. have times like, are they gonna try something? You know, which is, I mean, you know,
1: I w- I will say that I I do clearly remember they were nice.
0: Yeah, they were. Yeah,
1: and they they seemed very respectful to us as a family like they weren't trying to be buddy buddy but they also weren't trying to be distant or weird they seemed like they were doing a job and they were going to do it to the best of their ability so i I don't ever remember feeling strange with interacting with them it was just more the situation of just going what in the world this is strange and weird we've never seen anything like this before
0: and as a concept it's really weird like these two guys from colorado drive out to Maine and then drive us like why did we drive uh, maybe they, it was cheaper for mom to do that but well we had a bunch of stock too yeah but it's a strange odyssey yeah I'm sure it had a lot to do with money
1: and I'm sure it had a lot to do with getting there as quick as possible
0: yeah you know, I, I mean, do you remember how long it took
1: I don't but I mean I can imagine knowing what it's like setting up a move dealing with moving companies you're dealing with their dates and their schedules if you can find someone to do it on your timeline cheaper i can see why that would be you know a good option i I seem i seem to recall that it took a couple
0: days right two three four days something like that it took two days yeah okay but i don't i'm not sure though because i don't remember sleeping anywhere
1: well, that's the thing. I only remember sleeping in the back of whatever vehicle. That's the only because I think I think we drove straight through.
0: Yeah. And I don't even remember like the like the unpacking part of it.
1: I don't remember that either. Actually, no.
0: Yeah, it was just a bit unseemly all of it. But
1: yeah, I don't even know how we had a place when we got there. Like I'm wondering if like one of the family members took care of that for mom.
0: Probably, probably so. And we've talked about like our time there. Yeah. And uh, but, but think-
1: let me ask you this though, real quick, like because I think we've mentioned this before in another episode, but just the whole idea of moving, like we've moved a lot, and you're in the midst of about to move. Like, what are your feelings about moving? Like, is it something that you don't look forward to? Is it something that's not a big deal to you? Is it something that has
0: negative attachments or definitely have negative attachments to it because it's hard physically. Yeah. you know like you get in this I mean, I think a lot of most people probably feel this way that moving is hard, you know, and that's why you, part of the reason why you don't do it and why you stick around in one place is just kind of you, you get comfortable and complacent where you're at. And then the thought of moving is, the initial thought of that is good. Like, yeah, I can use a change. But then when the actual nuts and bolts of it come up, you're like, oh, yeah, this is why I didn't move. They always say, like, the little things when you're actually physically moving, you know, moving boxes and furniture, it's the little things that kill you. And it is. It's all those little things that you collect over the years, all this stuff that you just accumulate. And I'll say this, like getting rid of all that stuff, like <clears throat> this move is really light for me. I'm just taking stuff in a car and that's it, you know, and that has been liberating just to kind of free yourself from all the junk and all the stuff that you've collected over the years and yeah. to kind of be – kind of have this light feeling.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I mean I, I think I've always – They're always hard. You're right. But I think I've always associated until this last one that we did, I've always associated certain feelings of confidence in that we did it so much. It was like, I know how to do it. Like I know how to pack a van. I know how I know how boxes need to be stacked. Like there's just like just the logistics of it have have always brought me a lot of confidence. Um, And I think I remember that particularly on that move because we helped, right? Like we helped load stuff onto the the van or the truck and I remember them talking about what needs to go in first, where you put the weight, all that sort of stuff and that that like stuck with me for a long long time, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of a weird little byproduct.
0: So you didn't feel confident about moving to England?
1: No, it wasn't that it, it wasn't it wasn't a lack of confidence, it was just it was There were so many moving factors, um, and I think coordinating um, a move for six versus a move for two or three or four is much different, on top of it being international, where you've got the whole visa, different currency, different ways of governments working. It's, it's one thing to move from state to state, but it was just infinitely harder. And so I think I, when I now, I when I think about moving, I'm like, I don't ever want to move again. Where before I was always like, well, yeah, I don't want to move, but if we had to, we, we could do it. We could knock it out. You know, yeah. I think this, this kind of took it out of me.
0: Yeah. I, I definitely feel like as you get older, you, it's probably the natural thing to be not want to move as much. When you're yeah. younger, it's easier. You got a stronger back stronger, <laughs> stronger right. constitution you know but yeah that move to me though was pretty thinking back on it it was pretty tiring though like it was exhausting just being in that just driving that much I I just remember thinking like man we're, I remember going through Iowa oh. and I don't know if you remember this but we saw this sign for this town called Van Meter oh no way yeah, and um, our grandmother, who we were talking about, just that died of cancer before I was born. Her maiden name was Van Meter. You don't remember that?
1: I don't know. I mean, I remember
0: that was her name. I don't remember. Right, the, and I remember I seeing that and not, and thinking, oh, that's cool, but not. There was a there's a certain magnitude to that, like seeing that randomly. Now thinking back on it, like maybe that's you know where. Some of us got started, and all we do is wander around as a species and plant things here and there, and and you, sooner or later, you're going to crisscross across some place you've been or, you or thinking, some – You were thinking I'm, that as like an 11-year-old? Hell no.
1: No. Oh, okay. I just,
0: I just said no. Like At that time, I was thinking, oh, that's cool because I remember telling dad that. Oh, okay. He saw this, and he goes, why didn't you stop? Why do not you stop and go see that? That was me. I would, My dad was always full of stuff, like the Woodstock thing. The you know, Woodstock. <laughs> Iowa. I was like, we couldn't stop, Dad. We were on a freight train with two trans-ops, man. We couldn't stop, dude. No way.
1: Well, and, like, Dad, you realize we weren't driving.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we're right. 13 and 11. <laughs> he was telling us to speak up, though, like – but oh, well, yeah, but no, I'm thinking about that as an adult now. Like thinking, like wow, you know, just crisscrossing across different paths, you know, different ancestors and <clears throat> all that. Yeah, all these moves. I think the if you go all the way back to hunter gatherers, we've all been everywhere. You know, like they say, yeah. America or the Americas were discovered in 1492, but there's evidence of Vikings being in North America before that. There's evidence of Chinese being there before that. And it's just, we've all been everywhere all the time, you know? So like the migration isn't new, yeah. you know, the actual moving physically part of it, like the moving body part of it's the easy part. It's just the stuff bringing the stuff with you. you know, that's yeah. hard. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that was that, – I mean that was
1: a pretty pivotal moment just in a teenager's life to have to move,
0: but then be moved I watched this thing today. It's this documentary about these three identical twins who were separated at birth. They were put up for adoption.
1: Wait. What? Three identical tw- – you mean like triplets?
0: Yeah. Three boys who were born in New York and they were put up for adoption and then they were separated. They were adopted by three different parents. And this whole documentary is really strange because it turns out that they were part of an experiment. What? Yeah. So this adoption agency was famous for – in New York for, for Jewish families. They were Jewish babies put up for adoption and Jewish families would adopt them okay and but they were part of this experiment by this. I think he was German, this German psychologist who was working on some some experiment of of placing these twins in different households and and seeing how nature versus nurture worked. So when these three guys meet up, they're like 19, and they meet up.
1: So was it a plan for them to meet up as well?
0: That was all choreographed? No. No. It wasn't planned for them to meet up. It was just planned for them to grow up separately and then be monitored.
1: So how did they come together?
0: It's random. That's what's so amazing about the documentary. This guy, they start with one of the brothers going off to college at 19, and he gets there. And everybody knows him. And he's like, "What? what is this? Everybody's like being nice to him, saying hello to him, and like, yeah, I asked him how his summer was. And then someone calls him a different name. And he's like, I'm not that person. They're like, man, and then this guy who was, was a roommate of his twin knew that that twin wasn't coming back to college. So he knew that this guy he was looking at wasn't his friend. Mm-hmm. So he goes, "Do you have a twin?" He was like, "No." He goes, "What date were you born?" Blah blah blah. Okay, um, let's go and they go and call the twin, and then that's how they meet. And then they so this becomes a story locally, and they take a picture of them, and the third twin sees it, and he's like, "Those guys look exactly like me," and. So they meet up, and they're all just alike, like they they were all wrestlers at one point, they were all like so this whole nature thing starts to play out. but then you start going out through the their lives, and it turns out they were all they had three different parents sets of parents, and they were all parented differently. they all had and it turns out they were also doing a study or they denied it, but they all had suffered from mental illness. And their mom might have suffered from mental illness. And some of these other twins that they did other other things on had suffered from mental illness too. So nature versus nurture, it turns out that it's a, a bit of both mm-hmm. in determining someone's makeup. So I started thinking about that about myself and about how mom is, suffers from depression and I suffer from depression and I wondered about you, I was because you always seem to be – because I've talked to mom about this. When we were growing up, you know, you were a straight arrow. Like You made good grades, and I wondered that at some point, did you think – did you survey the surroundings and think, I'm just going to go a different way?
1: No, I don't think it was a conscious choice by any stretch. I think – like I knew you and I were very different. I knew even physically, you know, like we were different. Like as young kids, I was blonde. You were brown. Your skin tone was more like dad's, a little bit darker. Mine was more like mom's. Um, I always felt like you looked more like dad. I looked a bit more like mom or I had more of the Shannon kind of jeans. You had more of the Mayhall jeans. So I just kind of kind of chalked it up to like that's kind of what happens in families is that when you have multiple kids, you you tend to favor one side of the family over the other, and physical attributes, but also in personality attributes. And so, I guess part of it for me too, though, is I think, you know, there is there is a lot of research that talks about birth order as well, and how being the firstborn can, in a general uh, way, lead towards, you know, wanting to achieve and wanting to prove yourself and things like that. So I do think there was a bit of that, probably. But I never saw it in relationship to like, man, what else is going on around me? I need to be different. I just think that's the way I was. Um, So I think that was more of a nature thing for me of going my makeup was such that that's just what I wanted to do or that's what I wanted to value. Now, I do think to some degree grades or at least the pursuit of education slash job did become a bit of a – Look around and see, hey, I don't want to be in a situation where, you know, my family's struggling to make, make ends meet. Because um, we've talked about having a pretty, you know, low to middle class upbringing. So, yeah, but I, I don't, yeah, I don't think, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I don't think it was ever anything conscious that I was like, no, I'm just, I'm going to be different than everyone else in my family. I never thought that.
0: So at this point when we were moving, did you feel any kind of like bitterness towards mom in this move? Because I remember feeling sort of betrayed by the whole aspect of moving because I didn't want to and I didn't have any input in it. And I did you feel any sort of different feelings towards her? I don't
1: remember having any bitterness towards her. I, I think I recognize that we've been put into a really difficult situation because of Williams' choices there were times where i do remember thinking i wish mom would have kind of taking her taken her life more into her own hands rather than just marry you know be a housewife thinking man it would have been nice if she would have had a degree or a career to fall back on but i don't ever remember thinking it was her fault or being bitter we were moving i remember not liking that we were moving and remember being very self-conscious about being the new kid
0: um but i never blamed that on mom i think i did i think i blamed that the whole move that whole thing on her regardless of like the william thing even i think what you say like you know part of it was his his fault but I also Thought it was mom's fault like she I think I mentioned this before about She knew if she was getting involved with him He had two wives before that he would probably Cheated on them Yeah so She was she got involved with him In that it started Off with him and Cheating on her. his second wife What she think was going to happen You know yeah. when it's fam- There was a famous Thing she not famous but she said when she met William's dad, do you remember this what he said? That yeah. sickly old skeleton Mutt. of a man. Huh? His name was Mutt. Yeah, that guy was scary. You
1: remember that but, is that being his name?
0: No, I don't remember that. I just remember that guy being just a deathly he was ghost.
1: I mean, he was yeah, he was on his deathbed, but that was his nickname. His nickname was Mutt.
0: Yeah, so he jokingly when he met mom he looked at William and said, "Well, get on to the next one." <laughs> yeah. So there was a bit of foreshadowing there.
1: Yeah, I but I don't blame Mom for that. Like I just I, I think you're right. Like you can look at the writing on the wall or look at the history, and you probably can predict um, future behavior. But I also think you know, gosh, they were married for what was it, six, seven years? Yeah. Something like that.
0: Yeah.
1: Went through, you know, a lot together, moves, raising kids together. I mean, I think he was married to her longer than anybody else. And I'm sure that she, I'm sure that she thought, hey, you know, this is, this is going to be it for me kind of a thing. So I don't think you can ever blame the wife of someone who has an affair on, on her. You can't, I don't think you can blame the wife. Now, to say that she didn't have a part to play, of course she had a part to play as, as far as a marriage and maintaining, you know, a healthy marriage. Every it's a two-way street for sure. But ultimately, that, that's his. That's his bad. So I think my again my perspective on it, and I don't know if this is fully formed when I'm 13 years old, but I never remember feeling any sort of bitterness towards the move. I think I. At least I didn't feel bitterness towards her. I think I felt bitterness in general of like, I don't like this. This stinks. I wish I could just be in one place and get to know friends. But I didn't blame anybody for it.
0: Yeah, I I blamed her for a long time for it. I don't anymore. Like I've come – I agree with what you're saying, everything you're saying about that. But for a long time, I didn't feel that way. And uh, I've gone through these – Places in my life. We'll talk about this in a later one with our when we talk about our dad, because you know the, I felt that way towards um, his second wife, and I thought for a long time. I think I still think now that it, it it's a form of misogyny on my part. Really? Yeah, man. I think so. I think that there's this thing that you think that women are wronging you. And um, because you don't have success with women in life, and you go, you go and look, you do the whole Freudian thing, and look at like, well, what was your, what was your relationship with your mother like? And you, and you have to look at that. You have to look at why you're, why you're so bitter towards them, and why things don't work. And ultimately, it's you. Yeah, you have to figure out what's inside you. and, And I think it all started there for me was with mom and. Me reacting to what her decision she made as however old I was, but I didn't correct it hmm. over the years and let it feed into this thing, you know, and that is misogyny.
1: No, that's uh, that's an interesting point. I mean, do, do you also do you feel like part of that that development occurred because of how old you were? Because, you know, like last time we were talking about. I mean, it was only a year or two before, right? Where you're, I guess, two, two or three years before, where you're riding to school every day on a bike and calling her, and feeling super, super close to yeah. her. Yeah, I think part of that was just the
0: adolescent
1: yeah, stage I think you're going through was
0: a big part of it. Yeah. You, when you hit puberty, you totally change. You're like yeah. you're a different animal. Yeah, you know, at that point, and this is another thing. That we'll get to. So when we jump from, we we already covered the Colorado thing, but so yeah. we jump back to Louisiana. Yeah. Right. And in West Monroe. And I remember being a freshman. Yeah. And this girl liking me. Like you're getting in, like at that age, you're like, okay, here we go. Like what's going on? <laughs> I was really scared though. I was really, I didn't know what to do, man. I had no male guidance right. on this. And mom was, you know, gave us the sex talk a decade ago. <laughs> and,
1: and, then, and then shut it off. Right. Like, yeah. You know, like we didn't really talk again.
0: about it after that. And then, so the, here I am, ninth, ninth grade. And there's this sophomore girl who likes me and comes up to me. and was like, Hey, let's hang out. And I'm like, I, I don't have a car, yeah. you know, cause I'm, you know, I'm thinking the guy has to have a car and he has to pick the girl up and he has to do all this stuff. And, she was like, I got a car. I can come get you. And I was like, Uh okay. <laughs> so I guess we exchanged numbers or whatever, and she called, and Mom answered. And was like, nope, don't call here again. Don't, no You're way. not going out with this girl, nothing. And <gasps> shut it down right there. And I remember feeling like, how can she make these unilateral decisions like this? Like, I'm not going to have sex. That's what she was afraid of. Sure. What was that, but also name? it was probably because the girl was kind of forward. I didn't tell her about the girl being like she'd come pick me up, but I guess she got some kind of vibe from it as the girl calling being kind of forward, you know,
1: oh sure, sure,
0: so but the whole time that I was like and that was a part of why I wanted to leave was like that she had this like strict thing too with dating and our seeing girls or being around girls and that she was let another me see girls. I know. She didn't trust me because I was in trouble, I guess. Because I knew I got in trouble in, in a freshman, like a teacher called her because I had cracked a joke in class and it was about the teacher. It was bad.
1: This was at West Monroe. Yeah. What'd you say?
0: I, I called her fat. Like <laughs> fat joke. So what was the name of the girl? I don't remember. Okay. I don't even remember, dude. I I just remember like being attracted to her. Right. You know?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, that you're right. I mean, that's, that is on one level probably very average teenage awkwardness with a single parent mom and two boys but this is, not this knowing. Is yeah, because you're right that we didn't have a male role model to kind of teach
0: us that stuff. But also there was this something I want to talk about, but I don't want to get too deep into it because it's more of dad's family. But mom did treat us differently. And you were treated differently because you you came out the box as like this straight arrow, never really got in trouble, made good grades. And I came out the box getting in trouble and not making the great grades. So there was a different way of parenting us. She so you think she
1: was way more?
0: Well, she admits. She admits to that. I've talked to her about it.
1: And so what does she admit? That it was it was different because of
0: yeah the personalities. Yeah, she, do you yeah. not? Do you, It starts early, man. Do you not remember the story? Well, I, she always tells when I was three years old, and I woke up on Christmas morning, and I was just this cranky asshole that didn't want to to celebrate Christmas.
1: I don't remember that.
0: Yeah, that's what she told. So she would tell this story so much that at one point I'd be like, "Mom, can you stop with this story?" Well, so the story is just that how cranky you were at a young age. I'm three years old. It's Christmas morning. I get up, and I just – and I don't want to have anything to do with anybody. Maybe I'm crying, and I'm just like – just yeah. being a jerk. And this story got told over and over and over that sort of informs people about my my personality. Okay. okay. So it starts early.
1: Well, it does, and I, and I don't think that there is anything necessarily wrong with parenting kids differently because each kid no. is different. I don't either,
0: but I'm just making the note. I'm making sort of a note of it.
1: Yeah. So was it fair to say then that did that cause tension between you and me? Like you're looking at it, going, "Well, wait
0: a minute, that's different." I think think so. Yeah. I always not tension so much that I thought like I think so. And we went through phases where we were we were combative as kids.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, part of that's being brothers, right? Part of that's yeah. just being competitive. We were but super I did,
0: competitive. But I did feel from a very early age that I was the black sheep.
1: Ah, oh, that sucks, man.
0: Because, you know, dad's family treated you differently than they treated me too. Because of the same issues. Yeah. You well, first off, you were very important to to Papo. Because you Why? were the first because you were the first and you came I don't know Mama's told Mama's told these stories before about how close you guys were when you were when you were a baby. and yeah. up up until you were like two or three. Like his that's because wife had, his wife his wife dying. right. His wife had just died. Yeah. And he had that's he a formed unique his, circumstance. He formed this bond with you. There's nothing yeah, I don't blame him. I mean he was great to me. Yeah. But there was a different they did treat you differently. You had a nickname. I didn't have one.
1: You know, it's funny, Josh, because it, it, the perspectives, you know, of each person obviously um, is unique. So you're right. I did, which I loved. I loved having that that nickname, Jay Bird. But I also was like very I don't, jealous, maybe too strong of a word, but I always felt like, well, you had this unique connection with him because you shared a middle name yeah and I always felt like that was like a uniquely Mayhall kind of a thing like for me I always felt like like I'm not going to deny that that I think the family valued the fact that I was an easier kid
0: yeah. and I
1: think it was easy to celebrate someone making good grades And not getting in trouble a lot. Right. Like, so I get that. And I get that, you know, you you were different. Like, I I literally remember a story when you were in kindergarten and I remember your I think your kindergarten teacher's name is Johnson, maybe. Yeah. And I remember like a parent. Do you remember the story? A parent teacher conference where Miss Johnson's talking to mom and talking about how you control the entire class with your eyes. Because in in kindergarten, you would take naps, right? Like it would be nap times where you had a mat where you fought up, lay it out. And I remember her – I remember mom telling – maybe I overheard her, her telling dad or something like that because they were divorced by that time. But the, her, her telling the story about Miss Johnson saying that when you guys would take naps and everybody in class was quiet, that you were in control of the class by the way that you like looked and would direct people to do things. <laughs> I don't re- remember that. <laughs> I do, and I so I remember thinking, okay, yeah, we're different, but I think that that connection of of having the same middle name, as silly as that may sound, the fact that you looked more like a Mayhall than I did, in my mind though, I may have I may have been quote unquote celebrated because of my achievements. I felt like that was something that. I was only I was only being celebrated because of my achievements, but you were you were loved and celebrated because, in a way, like you were one of them. Not that I wasn't. Like I'm not trying to create like this false like weird dichotomy. Yeah. Um, but from my perspective, I recognize what you're talking about, but I always felt like yeah, but Josh has this and he has this and he has this connection kind of a thing.
0: Um, so, like I didn't, I didn't completely feel ostracized, but it's just something that you notice. And also, that's something I can't control. you what you did. You controlled on your own there with your merit. And um, I can't control how I look or right. sound or do anything. But going back to Miss Johnson, I do remember this um, <laughs> the, that time thing. That's when I first got in trouble. Was I couldn't sleep. I never took naps. Like even at – um, do you remember that preschool we went to?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah.
0: I could – like you do nap time there and I never slept. I, ne- I could never go to sleep. Naps had never been a thing for me and I would – we'd do the nap time. She'd turn the lights off and she would do whatever and I, there was a kid there that later on played on Woodman of the World, Austin McGee, and we would – We would roll hot wheels across the floor (laughs) to each other because he couldn't sleep either during nap time. And we got in trouble and got sent to the office. And that was the first time Mr. Chain brought out the paddle. He didn't paddle us; He just, like, went like this real close It was, like, you know, like a warning. Yeah. But the stuff about, like, being able to control a room, I don't remember that. I don't remember, like, interacting with anybody, but Austin, he was, like, my only friend, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. At that point. But yeah. But yeah. So the, the, there were different dynamics. And the reason why I brought that up was just because of like the, things started to change for me there in that move from, from Maine to Colorado, the way I thought about mom. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get back to Louisiana and we cover all the, I think I want to jump, jump until we're, where we were both out of the house, because we we covered this in the whole separation stuff. Yeah. And when mom's alone, she's living by herself. Mm -hmm. And do you remember at what point she left West Monroe? To move to Calhoun? Is that what you mean? Columbia? Well, I think... Because she moved to Columbia and lived right from there, or no? She She moved around, lived in some apartments in West Monroe gosh I'm having
1: a hard time thinking that she did she so that was before Dallas right yeah yeah so I I think she did I think she went from West Monroe to Columbia I think
0: this is where we're going to get into the third marriage okay this yeah. is where we're headed um because I think the reason why she moved to Columbia was because of this guy his name was Michael
1: Goes that back
0: that far i believe so do you do remember the what was the first time you went to see her there well i was definitely i was definitely married with
1: at least one kid because i remember going to her trailer for like christmas or something and us bringing the pack and play for jonah so that would be you know 2003 or four, something like that,
0: probably. Yeah. So she was already living there and I don't know what, if they were together, her and Michael, when you guys, I think maybe she was, and she just told him to get lost when you guys came.
1: Yeah. That was, that was my, that's what she told me, you know, years afterwards was, was she had met him. So this is where I don't know, like kind of how in the timeline it fits, but that she met him like as like a pen pal writing him while he was in prison
0: no yeah. I didn't know that
1: That that's why we need, we need to verify this with her but I, I think I remember her telling Kansas and I that that's how she first met him was and I, I don't know how that got connected like initially but that she was writing him while he was in prison
0: and that's where quote unquote they like fell in love Jeez. <laughs> Can you imagine the loneliness she was feeling to do that? No, I can't. Yeah. I remember when I moved to to Colorado that, to work. That time I moved there and lived there a short time. And I called her and I could hear this guy in the background. And I, and I hear her go, shut up. I remember you saying that. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's, that's my who that was. She didn't that, tell me who that was. So...
1: Yeah, and, and, then, they,
0: and then by the time I got down there, when she was living in Colombia, he was back in jail. So I think they got
1: married when he was still in jail. I do too. So I think they they were corresponding, you know, visited each other when he had opportunities, and then they got married. And then when he got out, he moved in with her. Yeah, well, it yeah. was
0: his idea because he was from that area. Okay, so because like. He wanted to get a trailer in that community where it was, which it was kind of a nice area and um, yeah yeah and he like <clears throat> wanted a four-wheeler so she got all this stuff on her credit. That's right and then when he went back to jail, she couldn't pay for it and it ruined her credit. Well, I, I think it was I think it was after that because I think he
1: I think he went back to jail, he got out again. And then that's when he went on the oil rig, mm. and then it was after then he got <laughs> murdered on an oil rig. No. Yeah. No. That's what she told me.
0: He was on a, maybe it was an oil rig, but he was in jail at the time. He was on a work detail.
1: Okay, so he's on work detail on an oil rig.
0: I don't know if that's true because he was like I don't know if that's true because he was at that jail that's just south of Monroe that you pass on 163 when you go out of under you know, So he was there. I, I think he was on a work. De- the way I, Cause I was, when she got the information cause she had just divorced him while he was in jail. What? Yeah. When I got yeah. there,
1: I don't know that part. I, I yeah. mean, literally Josh, she called me. We were living in Frisco and she called me, and it was one of those situations where literally she said, Jason, are you sitting down? I need to tell you something. And I was like, oh my God. And then so I was like, yeah. And I kind of motioned to Candace, and I was like, something's going on. And what she told me was what I've told you, and then that he was out on an oil rig, he got into some sort of fight, was murdered, his body was thrown off into the ocean, they couldn't find it, and that because of the death... She was then left with all of his credit stuff, and that's what ru-
0: w- w- that's what ruined her credit. Wow, she told me something different, man. So what did she tell you? She told me that he was on a work detail, like on a river, like on a bayou or something like that, and on a boat somewhere, and somebody he just never came back. Somebody shivved him or something. Okay,
1: so there there there's
0: consistency. But what she what sounds sounds. What she said to you seems like she premeditated and like like more the truth maybe she just told me like she like her stories don't yeah. jibe like she recently she texted me thought and she thought I was going to be on the road for a month <laughs> like I don't think like what what we've been talking about her cognitive issues is like yeah. we don't really know we don't uh, that,
1: that's
0: the bottom line I mean because you know she did. She, I, do you remember her telling you that she was married? It was over the phone too. All
1: this happened in one conversation. Oh, okay. I didn't know she was married until
0: he was dead. Oh, uh, okay. Yes, yeah, yeah. she told me – so uh, that's weird, man. That's a weird timeline because when I got down there, she was – he was in jail. She, And the way she told me she was married to him was like she just showed me her driver's license. She was like, here. Oh, God. And her last name had changed. So he was alive when she said that to you. Yes. So you knew. Yeah. Way I was under the me. impression that he was because she had to divorce him. Like this whole thing happened where she was like, I needed, to, I'm married to him, and he's in jail, but I need, I want to divorce him. So she paid this lawyer money to divorce him and got divorced, and then got a call later on that he had gotten, or maybe I've got that all jacked well, up. I that- don't
1: know. Well, maybe she – maybe you're right. Maybe she was in the process of getting a divorce when yes. all that happened. All, all I know is I don't remember her mentioning the divorce part to me, and all I know is that you're right that when we did go visit her, apparently she was married during that time, and and she sent him off whenever we were there because she did wind up telling me that. But again, all literally everything I know about this happened in one
0: conversation. Yeah. Wow. Was that around when Camden was born?
1: Probably. I mean, yeah. I I want to say like when we went to that's visit. When,
0: that's when I was there was when she was born.
1: OK, so probably so. So probably when we went to visit, we she wasn't. She, we just had Jonah. But then when mom actually told me what happened was maybe a year or two later and that, that we had Camden at that point.
0: Yeah. 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 So that was a. We didn't. We never met the guy. She obviously had, like, obviously was hiding him and the in the knowledge of all that from us. Probably because she was ashamed that of the whole jail thing and how she met him. And- oh man.
1: So like, do you ever? Sometimes I've told a few people this story. You know, people kind of close to us now. Obviously, if anyone's listening, it's out there. But. When I tell people this story, like, it literally feels like I'm describing a movie of the week kind of a deal. Like, do you – like, as a writer, as someone who's, like, creative and thinks a lot about stories, like, would you ever draw inspiration from something like this?
0: Yeah, I guess I would, but I don't know. It's a little too close to home. (laughs) But I guess I could – I probably should. I mean, that's a really insane story. It is, yeah, you you often think about like the people who are the women who are writing people in jail, men in jail, and, like you see these stories and on shows like Donahue and Jerry <laughs> Springer and stuff, you know, you don't think that your mom's gonna be one of those people.
1: But she is.
0: Yeah. Uh at that point though, you were did you have like a kind of a strained relationship with her or no?
1: Yeah, I would definitely say so. I think that was when
0: there was just more of a
1: natural independence and separation because I had my own family and was also going through graduate school at the time and was living in Dallas. So there was not only physical distance, but there was, you know, relational distance and that, you know, my priorities were changing and it was it was probably around that time where she and Candace also started it started becoming a little bit more awkward in regards to, you know, how she interacted with her or us. I mean, I can remember I can remember at the at some point during this whole period there was a pretty popular book out. I don't know if you remember. I mean, he's out in California, but there's there's this really popular pastor named Rick Warren, uh, Saddleback Church. He wrote this big big book called The Purpose Driven Life. And I remember Mom reading that book and like circling passages in the book and sending me that book that she had circled the passages in. And all the passages that it was in was about how she needed forget you need to forgive somebody. And it was like directed at me. I remember, like, opening the book going,
0: like... Like, she's forgiving you? Yeah, but with no detail whatsoever in regards to what it was. See, at this point, I think she became a bit maniacal about the grandkids. Like, wanting to spend time with them? And being near them and and stuff like that. There was this really... It's hard to... I guess a lot of people go through this when they turn grandparents, but... She did become a bit obsessed with it. And
1: I mean, I can I can see like you said why, because some of that's natural, but I mean some I wonder if part of that was her determining not to be the type of grandparent her parents were to us.
0: But why do you think she was at like what was the beef there with she thought you wronged her?
1: Yeah, man, I'm trying like to
0: remember. You, I just what, remember there's time there had been times where It still goes on. Where contact with you is sort of sparse. Yes. Yeah. That's always been a big deal. So that's always
1: been something that we talked about where she's she's been very clear in saying, you know, I want you to call me once a week, um, kind of a deal. And and that's always been a challenge for me. Um, and I'm not saying I'm right by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I don't call anybody once a week, you know.
0: And I so struggle I think, with the same thing with her, and I'll tell you why. I'm just gonna be straight up with you. It's hard talking to her.
1: Well, that is a factor. I'm not yeah. gonna lie. Like especially during that period of her life, there was a lot of "woe is me" complaining, you know, same kind yeah. of c- cycle type of type of talking. Um, so yeah, that was a part of it for sure. But yeah, so I, I do think that there was a forgiveness issue in regards to she, she perceived, I didn't want to be as close to her. And I was just perceiving it as kind of a natural, like, no, it's not that I don't want to be close to you, mom. I love you. And, you know, but I also like, I'm, I'm trying to raise my own family and I'm trying to do this and I've got a job and I've got school and I've got, you know, um, all this other stuff that's happening. And so it was never a, um, it was never an easy thing, and so I think that even came into Ohio where I think she really was frustrated in part when she lived with us of just how busy I was, and she felt like that was a slight towards her and not giving her enough time.
0: Yeah, she's – over the years with the grandkids has been trying to get closer to them, and it started there with uh, – when she was living in Columbia, you guys were in Dallas, and I moved to Dallas. She moved to Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. And then you know, there were some years there, I guess maybe yeah. one or I don't know how long she was there, two years maybe. then you guys moved back to Rustin yeah and then she sort of followed you back there. yeah and she has complained over the years that you guys are just running away from her
1: right right which which you know, if you look at it on paper, I can see why you would say that, although that's not the case at all. It was always a case of, like, we moved somewhere, she moved. I always thought that was great that she would she would be nearby. But, he, you know, it's, it's interesting. Even though she wanted to have this close relationship with the grandkids, she was never a traditional grandmother where, like, she had a lot of time. Like, she was always working, you know? And so I don't blame her for that. But it's not like a lot of people's grandparents who are retired and can come over at a moment's notice and, you know, do this or do that. Like, she – she had to support herself, and so I think I think she may have interpreted some of that time that she had to spend on her own, or she's not accounting for that time, and she's only accounting for the time that she has free, and why aren't we free when she's free? So yeah, you're right. I mean I do think that um, she – she's mentioned that to me several times of, okay – here I go, moving after you guys, and then you guys move. Why are you why are you leaving me? And it's like, Mom, that's not what happens. Like she,
0: t- she takes it personally.
1: She does. She takes it personally. Which is why when we extended the offer and the idea for her to move to Ohio,
0: it was it I remember was, that, dude. That wasn't our idea, you or I. It was your wife's. It was, you're right. 100%. That conversation? We had this I do. conversation when I was there for Thanksgiving. And it was Candace that spearheaded that.
1: 100%. And so for us, that was kind of like, Hey, this is, this really has always been our heart is that we want to be around family more. It just hasn't been able to happen. Um, maybe we can put this narrative to the rest to rest. And, um, and then that didn't even work out, you know, and I know that there are factors of why that didn't work out. But again, it's not—it's just not true that we—we we didn't want it to.
0: And she's still harboring uh, bad feelings about that Ohio fiasco for her. Hundred um, percent. She feels like you didn't help her move when she called you that one time and all that. She's still holding on to this stuff, man. I know. I know. Never mind the—you know—helping her move twice when she got there. She even threw me under the bus. A bit Yeah When I talked to her last She was You know how I, I Flew down there And helped her pack up And drove her to Ohio Totally She was holding on to this thing That when we pulled up There in your driveway And you guys all came out And you were like Thank you man And I was like She's yours now Joking <laughs> But she takes that personally of me like of us passing her off like we're just like no, you got her now, I got her now, like she's a piece of like tissue paper, yeah,
1: again, it's just taking things too personally, you know, like
0: you know what's weird is her aunt our aunt Sharon, her sister is this really sort of new agey kind of lady who's in the acupuncture and holistic healing, has told her these things over and over, and I remember them. And there's some of them are weird, but some of them are helpful. And one of them is don't take anything personally. Yeah. Don't ever take anything personally. And she told mom that and mom is not take like does not live by that at all because she has this thing in her head, this reality in her head. It's the only thing that she can live in. And I, we were talking about this before we started the podcast about her not being able to get into other people's heads and see what they're thinking. It's just her line of thinking and that's it. Yeah. And I well, there's a thing I, I can relate to with that because I get in those moments, too. I get in these ruts of like thinking the world's against me and taking things personally.
1: Well, of course. I mean, I, th- I think we all do.
0: Right. Like, I think that's something that everyone struggles with. I think the difference with mom
1: is, is that she doesn't come out of it. Yeah. You know, like like she is in a rut and she does not want to come out of it. So, I mean, even to the point of, you know, the. I'll say it again, it's a narrative that like I didn't help her. Like she's completely forgetting the fact that you and I like moved all her stuff into that storage unit and then I moved it all out and yeah. moved it into an apartment for her. Like yeah. like she's forgetting all of that stuff because the one day when she had hired professional movers to do it and they didn't show up, she called me last minute to say, Can you come? And I literally was like, No mom I'm in the middle of something. And that's that's the narrative of you. I never helped her. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like yeah. I, you can't win. So that's why there's a part of me that's like, this okay, is, like I'm just not going to go there with her. And if that's if that's what she wants to say, then that's fine. But I'm not going to devote a lot of energy to that.
0: Yeah. So currently, I'm in a pretty good place with her. I don't know about you. <laughs>
1: well. <laughs> So here's the thing. So like the the part of the backstory of me getting that book uh, where she like encircled all those passages before I would received that book, if you had asked me, like, how is your relationship with your mom? I would have said, yeah, I think it's pretty good. And what I've learned over the years, because now it's happened multiple times, is that I just really don't know where I stand with her. I can have a perception of our relationship but the truth of that relationship from her perception usually is very different than my perception. So like where I'm at now with her is um, I think we're OK. Like I we 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 message each other through WhatsApp fairly often. I just did that early. I guess it was just last week and we, I was talking to her about the November trip and saying, you know, I really wish you guys could come out in August. And, you know, there's we got to just keep Looking at the updates and all this sort of stuff. We really want you out here. The kids miss you. Like and she, you know, gives hearts emojis and all this sort of stuff. And I send her pictures of Julep and the kids and she says, Thank you, and this is great, and I'm gonna show it and share it.
0: But I don't really know. Yeah. I know it's a it's this thing that she wants to hold on to. We talk about it. It's all she has of Yeah. I guess feeling alive. I don't know. I'm not really sure, like what she gets out of like being at odds with a family member, but it may go back to just her upbringing and that her family. Her family's kind of like that. Like the the, the times that I see where Uncle Tim's having the fun, the funnest in his life is when he's putting the screws to somebody. Yeah, maybe so. Whatever that entails, but it's something that they like. I meant to say this last time because i was telling this story and i got sidetracked and i never went back to it it was about when i had visited aunt sharon last when she was in albuquerque yeah and she started to talk junk about mom well i was there about like how tired of mom she was and how like sick of this and that and it's just like this is how you talk to your nephew about his mother you guys are crazy
1: yeah there's There's no boundaries. boundaries
0: Yeah, it could be. We were talking earlier about the nature versus nurture. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, mean, I think I definitely think, the nurture part in that family was not good.
1: I don't think there was a lot of nurture. That, yeah. That's that's the issue is that there just wasn't a lot of emotional support and encouragement to develop your feelings and to talk about your feelings. I think probably out of all of those kids, mom is the most emotional and one who's willing to talk about her emotions or to let her emotions, uh, to wear her emotions on her sleeve. And I get the sense that her family just did not like it and respond to that very well and probably shamed her for that. Hence, going back to your story last time of our grandmother saying, I don't know what to do with this child. I wonder, I wonder if that was just because mom was just being a regular kid expressing her emotions and for that family that was just not what you did
0: yeah i think i that was probably a big part of it there's probably other things that we don't know about too well yeah i mean you raised up the possibility
1: of our grandfather was in the cia so there's all sorts of stuff we don't know i still believe it
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love it i don't that. understand why you would have to build a an airfield for a pharmaceutical company
1: Listen, I think we need to do some research. You speaking of research, I think that's something there there has to be a paper trail. That family's not going to give their DNA. There's got to be a paper trail. If yeah, we can figure out the name of the company, which, yeah.
0: which we probably could. Yeah. There's probably a way to figure it out. Probably. Yeah, I guess the 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 point of this podcast, these two these two episodes have been just sort of like this is the question that we are all asking our tr- ourselves all the time is like, where do we come from and how does that form us as human beings? You know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it does.
0: Like, like the Van Meter, Iowa thing, you know, we see this little <laughs> glimpse of it and it's like, dude, did our grandmother's people come from there? Is that where they settled when they came here from, from the Netherlands? I
1: don't know. You I
0: don't know? know, I mean that, that, I think that's one of the things that I want to do
1: while being over here is, Not only trace where the Mayhall family came from, which, to the best of our knowledge, originated in England, but mom's family, particularly her dad's side, originated in Ireland. And I'd love to be able to do some research in
0: regards to finding
1: out about that heritage and those people.
0: Yeah, Shannon's a pretty common name. (laughs) It's going to be hard. Yeah,
1: but being common, there could be, there should be lots of records.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know it should be. Hopefully, I think it, but I think also there's a, there's a side of that too, of just like, you'll never know everything and you just have to live your life, you know, and like go your own way and do your own things. But like, it's impossible to know all these mysteries. It it is.
1: I mean, I, I was thinking about this listening to the previous recording I was thinking, knowing my kids are listening, like in a way, like how cool this, this is for them. They may not fully appreciate it now, but you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the road, can you imagine listening to a podcast between dad and his sister, you know, when they were in their, their friends talking about their past and their recollection and just all of the mysteries, like you said, that would open up from that. Like, you know, hopefully, as the years go by, we get better um, as a family, unlocking the mysteries and, and understanding ourselves better and where we come from by having conversations like this.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's the point of this, I guess. Yeah. So at this point, you know, we we're up to date on our relationships with our our mom. Again, anything else you want to say about her?
1: No, I mean, like I guess like when we talk about where we're at with her currently, I feel like we're we both share some common things. Like we both have lots of compassion for her and the life that she's lived. I think we both have understandable frustrations with her personality and choices that she makes. But in no way would I want any of that to be construed like in an overall negative thing. Like, I think we love her. Uh, I respect the heck out of her for what she's been through and even what she, you know, continues as a 60 something year old woman still working, you know, and providing for herself. There's lots of good things about her. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it, you, when you're trying to delve deep though to figure out, Kind of where you come from and why you react the way you do. You can't help but not in the spirit of judgment, but maybe just in a constructive critique standpoint, try to figure
0: out how things happen and why they did. I'm of the mindset that it's all chaos. What is life? Yeah. I think that there's some sort of intelligent design, but, you know, all this stuff is like. we can go back and try to put the pieces together. i think that's what human beings do they want some sort of order yeah and we're trying to put these pieces together so we can understand them and absolutely like i said i don't think that's entirely possible it might create some sort of semblance of sanity for us but in the end we're just atoms knocking (laughs) off against each other you know Right. Bouncing
1: back and forth yeah. with each other. No, I mean, I do agree with you. I do think that most of life is chaotic, but I but I also affirm that we are searching for order, and so I think that search in and of itself is a worthy search, and um, I think order brings understanding, and, um, and that's what we're, we're really looking for. We're looking for that understanding of who we are and how we can be more like that order that we're searching for. So yeah, it's it, none of it's going to be possible because we don't know the whole story obviously, but um, I, I appreciate the journey that we're on because like like we've said before just even the conversations that we've had have there've been some aha moments of like wait, what? That's what you remember? That's totally different than me and I think I think that's that's a good thing. So
0: yeah, it definitely is, and I don't know if Mom's going to listen to this. She probably hasn't. I think she got bored with the first one. <laughs> um, I think it would be interesting to bring her on and like actually interview her about some of this stuff. Yeah, I don't know how that would go. Um, no, neither. Yeah. That's why we could try it. And then Somebody would they- have to be there with her physically. I don't think she could do this. Oh, yeah. No, you're right.
1: Well, maybe it's so, one of those things where if we're all together, we could do it one day. Yeah,
0: yeah. But anyway, Mom, we love you. We appreciate everything you've done for us. We do, uh, Mom. Uh, yeah. So thank you. That ends the part two of Mother and the subject of her. So. <laughs> so um, At least directly. I'm yeah. sure
1: she'll come back indirectly several times.
0: We appreciate you listening. You got any last thing to say? No,
1: I mean th- this. There might be a um, hiatus of some sorts, right? Until we kind of figure out where you are going to end up, and figuring out how you might be able to connect to an internet location. Um, yeah, well, we just, um, I'm going to kind to play and, that by ear.
0: Yeah, I'm going to try and do the trying to keep the schedule. Okay. So. All right. Um, but yeah, so well, that's it. I mean, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.